If you want a masterclass on how to score an action movie, you've come to the right place because in this episode, director Christopher McQuarrie and composer Lorne Balfe talk me through their stellar work on the genuinely brilliant Mission Impossible Fallout. I'm Edith Bowman and you're listening to Soundtracking, the podcast in which we celebrate the music of film and television. Now, as you'll hear, Chris and Lorne are quite simply tremendous company. We cover a lot of ground too, from the intricacies of scoring a chase sequence to reworking one of the most famous TV themes ever. Before that, a question to which I think there can only be one answer. How would you like a free case of craft beer to accompany your movie watching at home? Well, as a soundtracking listener, we'd like to thank you for your support with the help of our friends at beer52.com who are literally dishing out drinks for free at beer52.com forward slash sound, just in time for Christmas. Beer 52 is the world's most popular monthly craft beer discovery club, searching out incredible and exclusive small batch craft beers from the greatest breweries on the planet, so that you can sample them for yourselves in the comfort of your own home. Every month, Beer 52 focus on a new country or theme. So if you sign now, you'll get to try beers showcased in their West Country Road Trip Month, which features beers from brewers in and around Bristol, such as Firebrand's Juicy New England IPA, Lost and Grounded with their Keller Pilsner and Harbour with their refreshing Ellensburg Session IPA. And you'll be able to read all about the beers and learn more about how they're made in the 100-page Ferment magazine included in the box. As a soundtracking listener, you can try your first case for free. Just pay the £5.95 postage. That's eight craft beers, Ferment magazine and a snack delivered next day shipping. Really is a no-brainer. There's no minimum commitment. You can just take the free case, try the beers and see what you think. It's not for you, you can pause, cancel anytime. Just visit beer52.com forward slash sound, that's the word beer, followed by the number 52, and claim your free case today. Be rude not to really. Now, one of the obvious challenges faced by Lauren for Mission Impossible Fallout was how to marry Lalo Schifrin's iconic work on the TV series with Christopher's requirements for his very contemporary take on the franchise. Our opening cue, Kashmir, is an example of how he did it, featuring as it does, Lauren's interpretation of Lalo's classic plot and mission themes.
Lauren, welcome back to Soundtracking. Christopher, welcome to Soundtracking. Thank, thank you, you for having me. Um, I have to say a big thank you to you both because it's been a very busy summer for you guys. You're back, just back from China, just yes. back from LA, yes. to make time to come and talk to us about your hugely successful and utterly brilliant film, Mission Impossible Fallout. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you so for much. having us. Very kind of you to say. Um, I've seen the film three times at the cinema. That means we owe you dinner. <laughs> <laughs> automatically get a meal. <laughs> it's like a token. Loyalty card yes, for Mission Impossible. Absolutely. Um but it was I was I was saying this to Christopher actually that there's it there's so many layers to the film that I feel like it almost needs that many viewings at least to kind of really appreciate everything and you get more from it the more you go and see it. And particularly with the music on the second viewing and kind of really paying attention to that and each experience was very different, but equally as rewarding and unfulfilling as a film fan, it really, really was. When did the conversation start with you both about the music? We still haven't had it. No. We haven't seen I'm each waiting other. For, I'm waiting to be commissioned, actually. Wait for the contract to come through. Yes. After, right after this podcast, Lauren and I were... What Talk were you thinking? Yeah. What was That's going what through your head? No. Uh, no, it started quite early... We met breakfast me, breakfast at at the at, at, at Little House Little uh, House yeah in uh, Mayfair and we we this was well early into pre production okay so it was sort of a luxury Re- the challenge of Mission Impossible and I could see Lorne immediately wrestling with that challenge is how do you make it your own when it is such a distinctly iconic piece of music yeah. with this iconic mm. theme song and I. At least I think I gave Lorne as much latitude as he wanted with the understanding that what I tell the actors as well, and I told Rob Hardy, the cinematographer, Mission has a mind of its own. And you can try to change Mission, but Mission's going to change you. <laughs> uh, I don't know if no, that's I'm how so, you I'm remember the conversation. I still trying to learn that even at the end. <laughs> it, was, it really was, yeah. I could not understand it. I could be told it enough times, but it would not go through my head because it, I always looked at it as... Oh, I don't get it. I'm f- I'm just honestly failing constantly. Really? Uh, yeah. And then it. Kind Fortunately, of... no one agrees with. You. Well, no, no. But then it started kind of. I then started processing it and understanding it more, and I think that it then it then started making sense. But it was it was it was hard. Lorne? I knew about not only the music for which Lorne is known, but the music for which Lorne is not known. Yeah. No, I know other work that Lorne has done, mm-hmm. which is something we have in common. There are the credits you might know, and then there are a bunch of things that I've worked on that nobody knows. And Why so, is that for you both? Is that your choice or other people's or a bit of both? Um, the faces on you both right now is me, amazing. Hot potato. <laughs> for me, uh, my choice. Yeah. I'm, I feel I'm relatively new. 
I think I started properly 15 years ago and it took a long time for me to feel confident, still not fully confident with what I do, mm -hmm. but it just took a long, long time. Every project that came along, I, I, I felt I kept learning. So it was my choice. I have no one to blame but myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a mixture of things. One, my name is bad luck for a lot of the movies that I work on. There are those movies where I'm given the choice of taking credit or not. And every time I take the credit, the movie is a disaster. <laughs> and every time I don't, the movie's hugely successful. Um, it, every time. And uh, to the point now, the joke is, you know, if there's a red wire, green wire, whichever one I choose, that's what's, that's the wrong wire. Uh, so that's, that's part of it. The, the other part is that for the movies that I'm brought on to, to help with sometimes in the middle of production sometimes at the end mm. sometimes i come in and post and i and i do editing it's not about the credit for me as much as it is for the finished movie yeah and in the long term the confidence and the comfort that that gives to people when i come on to their movies they know oh he's going to work as hard as he possibly can and i don't have to worry about him bucking for credit i won't even see him at the premiere this is great just let him <laughs> Let them loose. It gives me a certain freedom and a certain latitude. It's really about trust with my collaborators. It's amazing what can be accomplished when no one cares who gets the credit. Well, that's a sign that you enjoy what you do and you love what you do, and that's the main thing about it. Yes, and truly, and I think, at least in the case of our relationship, the people that matter know what you did. I knew what Lorne had done before <laughs> I ever met Lorne, and that was, that was really the basis of our first conversation, Yeah, was understanding the hugely successful film that I had just seen that I know Lauren had done a great deal of work on. When did you start work on composing and, and making music for the film? Because I had the absolute pleasure of chatting to Rebecca Ferguson. And she, oh, she was just, what an energy. She's amazing. Yeah. And um, I was kind of having a bit of a joke about, you know, Tom and all his kind of stunts that he does. I was like, you know, when you got the script, script for this one, was it a case of, okay, what's he doing now? She's like, script. script? <laughs> <laughs> you know. What? You know. You know but, it, but, it, but I guess most is the case where you get sent a script to get an idea of the film and stuff. But with this, how, how did you navigate your way? Well, through... firstly, I'm dyslexic, so reading is painful, and it takes about a year. But um, and out I, of consideration, out of consideration, Lauren, that's why I never got delivered. I one. simply never wrote a script. <laughs> um, I didn't want. I didn't want Lauren to feel uncomfortable. It was just. It was awkward. No, after the, I, I started writing straight after our first meeting. I didn't give anything to Chris, and then I think it was the second breakfast. I then started writing more, and then. I looked at it as, I need to prove to Chris that I can do this job. Mm -hmm. Because I think, weirdly enough, I've done quite a lot of movies where they haven't been well received. And I thought the music was good at the time, but I think they just automatically get you know, panned. Um, so I really wanted to show Chris another side of, of my music. I tried desperately to save one of those movies before they started it. Oh, really? I won't say which one it oh. is. Oh, but you and I were on the, you were on the opposite. <laughs> you and I were on the opposite ends of a movie, and I, I was brought in and wrote a breakdown of... It was one of those things where I said, you're skidding towards a cliff, and here's... I can't narrow that down, unfortunately. Is there a cliff in the film? Is there a cliff in the film? I wanted so badly to work on it. I really did. When you come in on those movies, there's a sweet spot. It's I call it four in and four out. You're either four weeks out from shooting or four weeks in, and you're desperate enough to do what anybody says if it will move the needle. And if you're outside of that zone... You find that people are 
At nine weeks, people are too afraid to change anything mm. because they think production's right around the corner. And I'm trying to tell them you can do a page one rewrite right now and you can still make the movie work. Yeah. It's funny. You've got to kind of get it. And I, was just, I came at the wrong time. I came with too many months to go. They thought they had no time and they... They really had all the time in the world. Yeah, I'm not. Out yet. Uh, I know there's so many. You know, <laughs> I'll tell you afterwards. Okay. Um, but, uh, I'll tell you afterwards. But no, normally on those jobs, like I'm always the one that comes in maybe three weeks before the end. Three or two, I think. The last one was two weeks, and that was you know that's when you came on to the movie. Yeah, for ho- uh, the for the whole rescore. For the whole score. Holy oh, a rescore. Christ, yeah, that's it was two a, weeks. Two weeks. Yeah. To compose an entire now, film. Now the argument is, no matter what you're given, you're grateful. Can't make it worse. <laughs> that's what I, I've, I was told wow. that once. It can't get any worse. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so you're kind of you're already preempting, you know, your recording. So you just. Um, but there was a wow. fair bit. There was a fair bit of last minute. Oh yeah. Work on this, despite the fact that Lauren was giving us music right around the time we started shooting. We mm-hmm. were already listening to music and playing with things. Eddie Hamilton, very early on, was was playing with music to picture. There was no temp score ever on the movie. We were this talking about amazing. this earlier. This is amazing. I love that you don't use temp um, score. I've since found out that, uh, who else? Darren Aronofsky and uh, Denny Villeneuve. Yeah. I was very relieved and excited to hear neither of them use temp. And it shows in their films. You, you, a, a Denny's entire his sense of mood and his sense of tone is so informed by the the, the very original sounding scores of his music. And Chris Nolan. Uh, and Chris Nolan, yes. And it's, it's exactly. Yeah. And it's the, the problem with temp scoring is the temp scoring, A, it gives you a false read on what the scene is, mm. and B, you fall in love with the temp, and you never hear original music the same way again. So we were only using Lauren's music, and that's the first experience I've ever had. I've tempted my other movies after I've cut them, so at least when I show it to the studio, it's not dry. Mm-hmm. But I pay almost no attention to that. I try very hard to not get attached to the yeah. to the temp score. This is the first time I've ever made a movie where it was original music from beginning to end, no temp whatsoever. But then you remember one of the last things we did we did a pass for just the mission theme. Yes. We went yes, through yes, the, We yes. had actually avoided using the mission theme throughout a lot of the movie and, mm-hmm. and then went in and spotted. Didn't change what was there. Just said, here's a point where we're hinting at the mission theme. Yeah. You can actually go for it here. Things like the the halo jump. I remember that was one of the very last things. Yes, that back in the mi- uh, mission briefing. Yeah, it was days before we locked picture. 
and I sat in his room. He his <clears throat> his studio was at our editing room, so we could just walk down the hall. Yeah. And I think you wrote that in the yes. better part of an hour. Yes. Is that after, so that's after watching. Thought about it for about five months, but I wrote well, it in an hour. <laughs> wrote it in an hour, but really, and and it was a it was the most fun I had working in that room on the whole movie because you wrote this thing and then we were talking about those notes right before the notes getting faster and then Eddie came in and Eddie listened to it and had the suggestion of a slight increase in the tempo that the tempo started ramping up it was a little bit of an office party around that that one piece it was a split of royalties also So I think that there was there was one piece to me that kind of really started it. And every time when Chris was talking during breakfast, I called it a piece called Love's Reduced. Mm-hmm. And it was really about whenever he talked about Ethan's journey, mm-hmm. this was this piece. It was kind of different to when he first heard it, but he kept wanting to kind of take layers out and there was a melody on top, so we took it out. And then that piece ended up, Maybe five times in the movie, oh, or more the, than that. It was the backbone of the film. It's the it's the piece that's playing over the the wedding. It's the first piece of music you yeah. hear in the movie. And what we noticed about it, it's playing over the wedding. It's playing over the uh, the truck heist. The first time when Ethan is flashing yeah. forward and yeah. listening to and, and imagining what the truck heist would be. The fact that you could take this music and lay it over action and lay it over drama equally. The same piece of music. Mm. There was one afternoon when when I first heard it. Yes. And a lot of the movie had been assembled because when Tom broke his ankle, we were able to put together most of what we had shot. I said, put it over the scene, put it over that scene. And we were just throwing it at everything. And one of the things that happens when you cut without temp music, the movie develops its own internal rhythm. And you find that a piece of music that works with one scene will lay over multiple scenes. Yeah. That, mm. that it's somewhat eerie the way a piece of music drops in like that.
that piece feels almost like his conscience. It's a bit like Ethan's conscience in a yes. way because yeah. it's the moments that you kind of drop it in. It's, it's those moments where he's internalizing really and he's kind of... That's you know. exactly yeah. right. Yeah. That's exactly right. And it arose quite organically as something that brought out that feeling not just in a scene like the wedding, but in those action scenes. And it actually was in much more of the movie yeah. for a surprisingly long time. There were moments but like... The boat, uh, the, the boat. underground boat, Jay. Yeah. It was originally there and it gave it a total different... It gave it this very <laughs> eerie sort of... They had just escaped and yeah. then... The scene became about him looking at Solomon Lane, and automatically you felt this sense of regret yeah. that, yeah, I just got away with this, but this is not a victory, yeah. and bad things are going to happen from here. And what we felt when we were screening the movie, you felt the audience wanting to cheer at the end of the, the motorcycle chase, but then right before they <laughs> would clap, we this sad music would <laughs> It's that thing, I mean, you know, you have... My, my kids haven't seen the film, obviously. They're five and ten. They're a little bit young. But they Are know... They? Five? <laughs> they know that theme tune. Everyone knows that yeah. theme tune. Oh, yeah. Is it hard to pull back from it? Is it hard because there's... It's there, We were watching, you were very kindly showed me this, a, a, a little piece from the... It's going to be on the DVD extras, where, Lauren, you kind of single out all the different cells. Oh, yeah. The foot and chase. It's, yes, yes, it's yes. It's wonderful. And, and in that, the way that, that you almost kind of tease it at time, you know mm -hmm. kind of it almost like pulsates in and then it disappears and then it'll you know it's yeah. it's it's so clever the way that you have you know used it i guess to a point in in it's subtly in areas I, I think the thing is that well to me i kept trying to always remember treat it as if it had been written the day before mm -hmm. because i think the whole i think if you can easily go retro and make it sound nostalgic which the film isn't mm -hmm.
at the end, I actually sent Lalo the theme oh arrangement. Oh my God, really? Because we've got the same agent. So oh, I yeah. sent it to her. I got no reply. Like a month goes on and still no reply. And I'm thinking, God, maybe he just hates it. It must really be <laughs> really bad. So then I kind of thought, well, do I, when do I start asking this question? Firstly, does he check emails? Yeah. I don't know if he does or anything. Mm-hmm. I get told, yes, he does. He, he checks his emails regularly. I'm like, oh, God. Great. So then I'm doing a, a radio interview in Colombia, and there's a translator, and they're saying, uh, what does uh, Maestro think about your score? And I said, I don't know. I sent him it, but he, he never got back to me. So the interview finished. They called back 10 minutes later saying, uh, can you go on air now? I said, yes. They said, uh, we've just spoken to Maestro. <laughs> no oh way, Lalo, live in, uh, in uh, Los Angeles and the translator's doing it. So then they're playing him li- and he's listening to it live, <laughs> like three or four tracks of the, so the our end version that we did and then our opening uh, oh our opening God. credit piece. And then he's listening to it and then he's talking about And he's it. hearing it for the first time. Yeah, he was hearing it for the first time. So there's pro- maybe a lot of politeness was said. But you know what, he, he said something, he said it's such an honour to have this piece of music that has been throughout his journey yeah. still being uh, remembered by people. And I think that it, it, it's kind of, it's a, it, because people write themes left, right and centre and it gets mm. forgotten about. Yeah. But this is just now, this is pa- part of folklore now. Yeah, yeah. oh that, yeah. That, you know, it's people, it's on people's phones. Yes. You know, it's commercials and it's it's, it's far more well known. Anyway, he was happy. Okay, good. So. <laughs> good. Maestro, I love that. But now I can open that email. <laughs> I've been afraid to even look at it. But, but that I was, was your idea to do the snares, to do... Um, oh, the, the snares. Uh, yes, the, the military version of the plot theme, which, <coughs> the, which yes. you know, is is the second... Hero, you know, famous theme for Mission Impossible, yeah. which kind of gets forgotten about. The plot. The plot. So, yes. But another thing about the theme is 
there are those two theme elements. There's the, the plot theme and the main theme. Mm -hmm. And the main theme lends itself to heightened and almost, you know, the, the more triumphant moments. It's a celebration. And this movie didn't have many of those. Like when Ethan, normally what you do is when Ethan grabs onto the, the rope under the helicopter, you play the Mission mm. Impossible theme. You <laughs> remind, yes. saying this is a Mission Impossible movie. But it's not a, it's not the right moment. It's important to us to convey that the story is far from over, that the situation is incredibly dire, and you made the choice to take the plot theme and to play it where you would yeah. normally, you put, you took yes. theme B and played it where you would, yeah. the law got, says I've, theme I've got, A. Yes. <laughs> I think I didn't... And you see, that's the problem of not understanding the rules. <laughs> but that's exactly what you want. They want yes. the rules thrown out the window. And Absolutely. you want it to be yours. And you want it to be your interpretation and this collaboration between I, you all. But I think, though, that even the famous theme, there's so much in it that I think less is more sometimes. Mm -hmm. And and we we did a lot with just the first three notes. Da -da mm -hmm. that, you know, And that was it. Because as soon as you do the next one, it then becomes triumphant. And it's yeah. changing the whole tone. But also, you've got a very famous rhythm. Yes. That, that pattern of that five-four is just, you know, so what many. You do in human form when you when you, well, exactly. you can't help but do when you sing it, which I'm doing now without <laughs> even singing it. But it's you know that's just become so well known in action yeah. movies in the last like 10, 14, 15 years. It was just good to take ownership of it and go. This yeah. is actually the TV show. I was just going to say I'm surprised by how many action films that I watch and I become aware. Somewhere over the course of the movie, I become aware of the score, and I immediately become aware that I have not been listening to the score, that there's not a, there doesn't seem to be a melody, there doesn't seem to be a theme, there's more or less, there's an atmosphere or an emotion that they're telling me to feel, but there's not really an integrated score mm -hmm. in the traditional sense, which I find just very odd. I feel like you're, I feel like you have one hand tied behind your back. Yeah.
I uh, have to commend you as well on the connection with how Tom runs with bongos because that's just the perfect <laughs> marriage of sounds. Lauren it's just, just, the bongos are amazing. Lauren had this like weird bongo lab. Fetish. This bongo, bongo lab. Fetish. No, it was a bongo lab. He'd send these videos in the middle of the night where he'd just have all these bongos and it wasn't, it wasn't from any piece of music we had heard or anything we had discussed. It was just like, the guy's got a budget. He's brought in a lot of bongos. He's kind of gone, he's gone a little bit off the rails. I'm sure he's going to use it somewhere. I'm sure there's something. We really had no idea what the bongos were for, just that it's he brilliant. was, that he'd gone bongos. Bongo crazy. Also, yes. it gave 11 more bongo players a job than normally get a job. Yeah. <laughs> there's always one. Yeah, um, and, uh, 11 and, uh, in this one. But the bongo was just so associated to the, the TV show. So but it good. was just a way of kind of trying to make it sound different. And, and then also having, we, nerd alert, it's kind of, we got drummers to play. Because yeah. normally you get the percussionists mm -hmm. and they're quite reserved. So we've got drummers to go and do it. So they were playing with drumsticks and they just have a different attitude. I thought I had a plan, and then and then then <laughs> it was just there was just so many bongos. But I, I think it was just <laughs> I don't know what happened. No, I don't know what happened. But then but then after the bongos, it was near the end. Then we had the idea of that opening. Obviously, yes. to start your movie off with bongos. That's another place where we were using love Juice. Yes, love for Juice. Three of the four test screenings, yeah. I think we did. Yes, and and there was a we kept getting notes that the wedding was too long. And the wedding is less than a minute. Mm. And I thought, how could we be getting notes about length 45 seconds into the movie? That's really a problem. <laughs> yeah. And then I realized what it was that we have a minute of cards because every company in the universe now has to have take 20 seconds or 30 seconds to show you their name. <laughs> and that th that music was playing over it for a full minute before the movie started. So Eddie Hamilton was emboldened by um, What's the movie, the Spielberg film, uh, Ready Player the One? one. Oh. He went to see Ready Player One and he noticed how fast the logos were. <laughs> uh, as only Steven Spielberg could get away with it. And he, thought, and he thought, well, if Steven could do it, we could do it. <laughs> and so he ramped all of the logos so that they ran at double speed. And then at the very, very last end, minute. Very end. It was a late night idea. And yeah. I just thought I'd send it to Chris. And, I, and uh, yeah, it was just, again, it's it was getting into the understanding of the discovery with mission and by the end of the film mm. and writing the score it kind of just said itself yeah i said that's how you begin but and it's really propulsive it's sort of it, it flings you into the movie as opposed to sneaks you in yeah, yeah. Bongos, the running. Sorry, last time I say bongos, the running scene. It will not though, be the last time the, run, the running scene, though, was Chris and Eddie's idea. That was a piece of music that you had put there. 
Which was? When the, the side shot when he's running just before the Tate. I, oh, oh. Well, yeah, it was your music. Oh, yeah, yeah it was my music. But, but yes. Tom and Bongos, I have to give to Chris but and it's... Eddie. So there was a piece of music that's different from everything in the score. Uh, it's the piece of music at the very end of the movie when Tom is laying on the oh yes the rock and what's the name of the track? Oh, um, uh, that, um, for uh, those conclusions, playing, conclusions. <laughs> but, but it's conclusions. But it's the other piece. It's the um, the working title was conclusions because it was that was in my head. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Oh, that's what that's what they're describing. <laughs> yes. And what I'm what I'm looking at here is. I'm trying to call it. Here we go. Go to album. I've got my iPhone out. <laughs> it's um, The Last Resort. Last Resort. Last yeah. Resort, number 25 on the, uh, the, on soundtrack. the soundtrack. And The Last Resort, I remember when Eddie played it very early on. I, I don't think we'd really assembled much of the picture yet. And I said, well, this is great, but it has no practical application. Yeah. It was a common phrase. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then I remember when I was watching the movie put together and this music was playing. And it was really beautifully laid down to the picture we had. And I said, this music is great. He said, oh, yeah, you rejected this like a year ago. <laughs> I said, what? And he goes, yeah, this is the music you heard. And you're like, it doesn't really belong in our movie. I was like, well, of course it does. It absolutely belongs there. That was the thing. I just didn't have. You weren't there I, yet with it. I, I just wasn't there yet. And it, and it provides this emotional crescendo that, that I was looking for in the movie, but hadn't mm. realized yet. Can we talk about the Paris chase scene? Because there's there's so many different elements to that as well. And when you got here earlier, I was watching a documentary about Rendezvous, which if anyone hasn't seen it, it's this kind of 10 minute short film of this amazing, one, shot. One, one shot crazy drive through Paris. But I'm not going to give the ending away because the ending almost brings tears to your eyes. It's just it's really it's beautiful. gorgeous. And there's no music on it. It's purely the sounds of the car engine and mm -hmm. the tires, which yeah. are really prevalent in it as well. But the emotion that this one short film kind yeah. of throws off the screen is, is absolutely incredible. And I think that's such an important thing to think about as well, is not just the music when it's scenes like that. Mm -hmm. In your film, is about the marriage of those sounds, of the real sounds of the car or the bike. Yeah. 
the street, you know, the, yeah. the reaction that the vehicles have with the street and the music and knowing how to get that mix right and that balance right. So you yeah. feel this is really happening. But yes. the music then also kind of gives it. Yes, but that's Chris though. I think he's just got amazing taste when knowing when to use music and when not to. Is it hard to know when I to not use music? You screen the movie numerous times and when the notes come back and tell you that the chase is too long, you know you know you have a problem. And of course, you're totally precious about every single shot that we have in the chase scene. And the first lesson I learned, the chase scene I had on Jack Reacher, we kept getting these notes that the chase was too long and I wasn't going to score it. I knew it didn't need score. You had so many different engine sounds. You had the three-way chase scene, mm. but the engines themselves were providing the score and it was giving tension. But we kept getting notes that it was long and I realized as I was watching it that there was a moment in the chase scene where I was cutting to a high wide shot to bring in a helicopter and introduce this new element into the chase and where I thought it was adding tension because you felt a helicopter was now upping the stakes, it was reducing pressure because it was taking you off of the protagonist and the mm. car. And and as soon as I took that shot out, all the notes about length went away. And so we applied that to everything that we've done since. And I didn't allow that kind of shot as often into what we were doing. But then I started to notice mm, there are a couple places here where these are vanity shots. I love the shot. But if I take the shot out, the story is clearer. And I started removing those. And I cut the chase down to the very bone. There was a point where if I took another shot out, story was not going to be clear. Mm -hmm. And still we were getting the note. We went back. We looked at the entire... You know, first of all, this is this was pretty ambitious. It was 20 minutes of the movie. It's a, it's a, It's an entire reel of the film. And the chase really begins with the helicopter arriving. Yeah. There's sort of the lane breakout. There's lane breakout, then there's motorcycle chase, then car chase. The car chase is very, very short yeah. when you when you look at it all by itself. But because it's at the end of 20 minutes, it feels a lot longer. Yeah. And the very first scene we ever assembled was the lane breakout, the lane breakout with yeah. a piece of music that Lauren had sent us, which was a riff on the theme. It was a three-minute piece that Eddie stretched into five. And we fell in love with it. And it was, in a in a funny sense, we had temp love yeah. <laughs> for this music. Even though it was original, we had been listening, we had been living with it for so long, we didn't want to change it. And we realized that it was the mission theme for five minutes. So by the time Ethan's truck hits Lane's truck, you've been listening to the same music that's just been stretched mm -hmm. a little bit too long. So the first thing we did is we said, there's got to be a moment when we feel the story shift and the music has to shift with it. So you need you need to tell the audience with a change in music that now it's on. And we picked the moment where the big truck comes out and tips over and blocks the street. Yeah. Is, okay, now the plan is in action. And you feel a shift in the music. And what that does is it's it's a bit of a shot in the arm. The, the other music puts you to sleep. Other thing we noticed was that the music and the mix were playing at the same level. So everything was shouting. So by the time you got to the what started the chase, which is Ethan hitting the Lane's truck, you were already worn out. And so then we spent days 
picking our moments and saying, okay, where does the music dominate? Where does the mix dominate? Where do the music and the mix play at the same level? And where do we know there's no music, which is in that car chase? That if we take the music out, by the time you get there and take the music away, it's going to feel fresh. And so the term we used a lot to the point where I think if I said it again, Lauren was going to hit me with a stapler, was <laughs> chaptering. That we, we would look at every sequence and say, now a new chapter is beginning. And the other thing I would say to you is play to the cut. Yeah. You remember, there were just times when where I would say, do whatever you want here, but this cut is an important cut mm -hmm. where the music should shift. And Lauren would play either, Lauren would make a creative choice where the music would stop before the cut or play through the cut. And I would say it'll serve you if you play to the cut. The picture is then gonna be, is gonna add to the drama of what you're doing and vice versa. So there was a lot of shaping yeah. that went like that. Yeah. It's just that's kind of an interesting that the pace thing is always difficult mm. with action sequences. I think it was the first time to me, it was the first time ever I'd ever taken into context how to control the feeling of sound effects versus music. Mm -hmm. I'm always I'm obviously aware of it, but how to not wear your ears, you yeah. know, to tire them, mm -hmm. yeah, and to kind of choose your battles. Yeah, this but, is all a consequence of the fact that I'm hard of hearing, and so my mixes all tend to be really punishing anyway so i have to be i have to be conscious of it and it's one of the reasons why there's so much bass in there you know i yeah. have hearing loss at the high end and so all of that affects the mix for example i can't hear the the light thing i thought you were about to say bongos oh. i go i can hear the bongos i, the bongos in my sleep. I don't think i can hear anything after the lightning now. i can't hear the lightning strike because it's it's so loud it's mm -hmm. outside of my it's outside to me it just sounds like it sounds like a bang. Yeah. Yeah. But to everybody else, I, know, I see I think, it with... Like, I, I know many that had a heart attack on that thing. <laughs> I'm so it jealous of that. I'm wow. so jealous of that. Yeah, to me, it's a rather muffled. interesting as well for me is like each time you watch the film there's different kind of thoughts go through your head about the makeup of things and when 
Ethan's in the car with, with Sean Harris and, I'm, and the third time I saw the film I was just going I wonder what Sean is thinking at this point <laughs> being ripped through the streets whilst Tom Cruise <laughs> almost you know it's kind of like because he's just, he, I mean, he's such a great actor I, yeah. I, I think he's fantastic and yeah. stuff and he's just stony cold there's not even a glimmer in his eye at any point of him going, <laughs> holy shit! <laughs> it's really incredible. And it's it's not the sort of thing where you would say cut and he would, and then he'd freak yeah. out. Uh, he really was like, and I think part of what Sean Harris is thinking is, thank God I don't have any lines. Because we're always, we're always throwing dialogue at him at the last minute. Sean really likes to prepare. Yeah. And, so he, and, and I promised him that this would be a different experience from the last movie. And I know the other thing he kept thinking of was how much he wanted to kill Benji. <laughs> he had this fantasy of Lane killing Benji. And he, he, Sean would always tell me, he goes, he's not funny. I'm the funny one. I'm really much funnier than him. And we just need to kill him. That's great. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I know that you, Rendezvous was a film that you, you got the crew to watch. Is that right? Yeah, to, to, get, it, to get a sense of it. And to, it, was the, it was the movie I brought to Tom. And I told Tom, it, it was... It was it turned out to be apocryphal. I, I told him that this was a big inspiration for The French Connection. Mm -hmm. And then I had the honor and pleasure of interviewing William Friedkin in New York. Oh, wow. wow. And I asked him about Rendezvous. I was interviewing him for The French Connection with Empire Magazine. And he said, I don't know what you're talking about. I said, but you're like the Francophile. Like, you're the guy. And he was like, man, I never heard of that movie. Never heard of it. Wow. Yeah. Did, does Tom get involved in the music at all? He does. He understands. Tom communicates almost entirely in emotional terms so mm -hmm. he if for him it's all about what he wants the audience to feel in a specific scene so music definitely plays a big part in that he's a very good sounding board on rogue there was an issue with the third act of the film we kept getting notes from the test audience that the movie felt like it ended five times the studio's solution was to cut one of those endings out take some chunk of the movie out and tom said, no, it's the music, because that was the only part of the movie at that screening that still had temp in it. We had most of the score, yeah. two-thirds of the score was done, and he just said, score it like it's all one sequence and that note will go away, and it did. He's he's very good at connecting emotionally with, with what the movie is communicating and very good at finding ways of articulating where those emotions need to be better sharpened. I think for the it's, most part of this that was a... It's interesting though because not many characters you know he is that theme. Yes. You know if you look at Bond you know every time Roger Moore enters a room they play Bond but, but it's not his you know that was yeah. him yeah, for yeah, a short yeah, period yeah, yeah, yeah. and you've seen such a change in musical styles mm -hmm. relating to Ethan's world you know yeah. going from the yeah. other two of you two. Uh, uh, well that's what I think. Not you two obviously to Limp Biscuit.
But that's what's interesting through all the, the mission films is the different, you know, the different composers that have worked across it, be it Hans, mm -hmm. be it Danny Elfman. It's kind of interesting that each one has, I guess, taken a journey yeah. with it as well. But this this just feels not to kind of, you know, I know you're here, but it just it just feels so kind of relevant and fresh and new in it's, your approach it's, to it's, what you did with it's it. It's violated a couple of the un written rules i mean all Good. of the mission well tom it's tom's franchise and tom is a lover of classical cinema the conversation about mission impossible will begin and end with uh notorious and north by northwest like that those are the movies that that he loves and he, he and when oh, we wow. talk to costume designers and we talk to people are always trying to bring something different or something modern and tom is always knocking it back He's looking at films, and I feel very much the same way. I want to make movies that you can watch over and over and over again and that you can watch forever. I don't want to make a movie for now. I want mm -hmm. to make a movie for 20 years from now, which is why I have always relied upon a more classical score. And if you look at everything but Mission 2, while there's been some, some pushing the boundaries, they're all classical scores except Mission 2, which is of its time. It's it's screaming 90s, and it's also John Woo. It's it's Limp Bizkit. It's, a, it's the anomaly of all of them. Going into this one, in order to feel like a different director, I knew I couldn't do that again. Uh, I knew I had to, I had to make a, a distinct change, even one that went against some of my instincts. Mm -hmm. So I've never gone near a synthesizer in in my life, <laughs> and so between Rob Hardy and Lorne, there was a sense of that's not how I do it. But okay, try that. Yeah. But it's interesting. You know, but other things would then come out of that. Yes. You know, things like, you know, there was that kind of very kind of Bernard Herrmann-esque mm. short string passage that then kind of we started... Oh, at playing. the White Widow, uh, yeah. which I love. You know, and it was just... So, in one respect, I kind of started thinking it was quite classical, but just with modern colours. Weirdly enough, I only found out this afterwards, but Mission One originally had a rock score. Really? Yeah. Danny Elfman? Was the composer okay. before. Yes, okay. Danny Elfman was the he second was the, composer. Yeah. Okay. But, oh, okay. It, but it was very That's rock, rock a lot of... Have you ever heard it? Uh-huh. Uh -huh. Have you? I heard, it, I heard it afterwards. I heard it like a month ago. Can you Did say it who work? the original composer was? Uh, I don't know, because I never okay. saw it to picture. Oh, wow. I think, I think it's known who it is. 
Huh? That's that's just no, he so did too. odd. He did too. Yeah. He did too. I, it's hard for me to imagine just because De Palma shot it in such a yeah. starkly Hitchcockian way. Yes. All those Dutch angles. Yeah. And, this is, this yeah, is drums. Score, feel really drums. Weird. Now, 2001 had a different composer originally. Did it? Yeah, and the composer didn't find out until the premiere that they hadn't used his score. Oh, it was very ugly. Ouch. And apparently uh, somebody, maybe Lalo, had done a score for, or Jerry Goldsmith, it was one of the two, who had done a score for The Exorcist. Yes. But The Exorcist had a different yeah. score. I wow. think Lalo. But, I th- but also, I think like Alien, yes, Jerry that with correct. that one, mm. went yep. to the premiere. Yes. What is this? That one, I think, is online somewhere. Yeah, that's there's a, there's a DVD commentary about it. Because... They were temping with his music, of course, and he didn't. And he didn't understand why they were listening to waltzes when the pods opened and things. So they just went and licensed all, you know, pattern and. Thing. Oh my god! Wow. So, so he. <laughs> I find out a really interesting fact, which you probably already know about the French Connection, which is that um, Don Ellis, who did the music for it, worked on one episode of the Mission TV series. Really, that's interesting. Oh wow. A Cube of Sugar is the name of the episode. Just you look happy you know. about that. I love facts like that, though. I am such <laughs> a I'm geek go for a good film fact. <laughs> what are the films you talked about? Um, you know, Tom having these, you know, North by Northwest and, and stuff, these films. Two films are almost kind of up there for him. For you, what were the films that first made you make, make a real connection with them? Musically, or yeah, that the, the music really resonated with you. As... The music that really resonates with me has and and still does. Bernard Herman, Bernard Herman, specifically uh, the Ghost and Mrs. Muir. Yeah. You know, his score for Taxi Driver is, yeah. is quite amazing. You know, uh, for Cycle, he used the Scottish Philharmonic Orchestra to record Cycle. And that's why it's so That's great. why. That's why. It would not have that's worked. It's terrifying. And also that shower <laughs> scene wasn't meant to be there. Mm. Yeah. He didn't, Hitchcock didn't want any music. Really? Yeah. And he went and he, he said, absolutely not. And he went away on holiday and Herman scored it. And just, do you know the story about Taxi Driver? His, he finished scoring Taxi Driver. He went home that night and he died. Oh.
Anyone made still. a film about him yet? Are there any docs about him? There's a, no. there's a, a great doc. Is there? Oh, is there? That, that it shows his whole backstory. Because I think he left his wife or his wife's sister. Oh. Yeah, um, you know, he, he, oh, all, so there's a good story. Yeah, there's a good story. <laughs> but also the whole how he gave up with movies and moved to England, mm -hmm. to Bournemouth. Mm. Um, because he used to do a radio show, not talking, uh, but um, stories. They do music to it. Wow. Oh, wow. But he, because he, 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 he gave up after, I think it was like Torn Curtain went bad, because that's the one where he was, him and Hitchcock fell out. Oh, really? Uh, to the point where Hitchcock made a mission to uh, turn up doing the scoring and say, this is horrendous, and oh. fired him, and fired oh, him. Oh, Oh. But what was the falling out about? My understanding from the doc is that there was a reliance on his music. The music became the, became. became the movie. And, and when you think of it that way, then you start watching some yeah, of those movies and you yeah. go, wait. Well, look, here's a, here's a dirty secret. <laughs> <laughs> Take John Williams out of Star Wars, Superman, mm. Indi uh, Indi Raiders Jones. of the Lost yeah. Ark. All of that is mute. Take Elmer Bernstein, another one of my gods of Olympus. <laughs> Take him out of The Great Escape. It's a huge component and I don't see what's wrong with it. Other reason Lawrence here is I in in that movie on which he is not credited, so I cannot name it. As brilliant as the film is, if you took the score away, there's half a film. There's not as much there. There, I would say I would say there's half a film. <laughs> All right, sixty percent of a film. It's but the music is incredibly effective at keeping you engaged at the point where you would not normally be. I would not have been able to diagnose that had I not made another Mission Impossible. I walked away from this particular movie recognizing throughout the film that what had me engaged was the score. I was suddenly aware of how amped up I was in the movie mm. and then was asking myself, but why? Because nothing in particular is happening. And I was like, oh, it's, it's this, it's the music. And I was determined on this movie to use that to accent a movie and, have the, and then push the movie to the point where where it did it as well yeah. it's it's so it's if, if we're really exposing it for what it is that 
the third act of the movie where I have so many people coming away from the third act of the movie saying my palms are sweating, <laughs> I, I don't have any fingernails left and everything. I'm just like, I'd love to take all the credit for that. But if you go back and you look at that without the music on it, it's, yeah, there's stuff there. But yeah. the music is what's keeping, uh, by, and also, by the way, the timer is set for 15 minutes. And that ain't 15 minutes. <laughs> And when Don't we said it, because oh, five year olds will be upset now. Here's now. Here's the best part. <coughs> I actually don't know how long it is. I've never actually sat down and worked it out with oh, Eddie. Oh, I am booking my ticket for another screening. I'm uh, bring your so stopwatches. Yeah. It's not 15 minutes. But when we set it at 20 minutes, do you remember? Yes, yeah, I remember. We have a version where we set it for 20 minutes, which is closer to the real time. When you're in a movie that's two and a half hours long, and you're rounding the horn of two hours and somebody goes, there's 20 minutes until the movie's over. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to pay. I may miss something at 15. At 20, I'm not going to miss Tom anything. Tom Cruise flying a helicopter. <laughs> that's it. That's it. You felt the audience just collectively go, oh my God. As opposed to, oh my God, what's going to happen now? Uh, but that's, it, it is, there's, there, there's moments in that sequence that I find absolutely sublime my favorite moment in the entire score is that moment when ethan and ilsa and benji come running into the shot you're looking into the valley it's oh, right yes. as walker has as walking out with the de he's about to set off the detonator and there's such remember and we played yeah. with it we, we it's your favorite bass line isn't it oh it's awesome it's da -da 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 awesome and there's a note for each of them <laughs> running into the frame and somebody asked me on social media they were they were asking if you had written that piece of music first and we just shot the music. Did we shoot the scene to And I can only imagine being out there telling the actors, nope, do it again. It doesn't match the score. You gotta run into the Listen! Your elbows are out of time. Yeah. Well, music editing is another important thing on this project, yes. Cecile. Cecile our, Tornasek, or DJ Tornasek. DJ, who was our music editor, yeah. editor on it, really brought a lot to yes. the movie. She uh, also uh, would be in the room when Lauren was not, and I was pulling my hair out. So she was the one who had to hear all She was yelling. the buffer. <laughs> she remained incredibly calm. She was really a, a stabilizing force. Yeah. I think it's one of these things. It's like I have a lot of friends that are composers, and, some, and a lot of them don't like being near directors you know they don't like that being told their music's not right yeah they don't like experimenting and i think with this the whole process was experiment you know cecile brought ideas to the table and, and eddie mm -hmm. yeah you know it, it's yeah. not you don't just turn up sometimes you can write a piece of music and the, the, there's one top line or a melody yeah. that just throws the director off and they just go oh i hate it you know and it's dissecting these things and if you can't yeah it's, i don't like it, curry 
Yeah. It's just, it's, it it also, tastes like curry. Yeah. But you might like the rice, though. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Just, yeah, or the rice might make you think, actually, if I eat the rice with the curry, I might actually like it together. So it might, you know, it might mm-hmm. change yes. each side's opinion. Yes. Yeah. Let's not get into the dips. Because <laughs> that's, that's gonna... Or the poppadoms <laughs> and the parathas. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's going to confuse yeah. it a lot. But yeah. I do. I, I think that is the thing about when you do it, the whole point of filmmaking is, is that every single department... It's not it's like important. you just turn up and say, here's your costume design. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The director's going to have a point of view. Yeah. And one little change can change it and save it. Writers and directors have been on it for years and the composer comes in for like a few months and they can't fully understand it. He's being very humble. No, no, but I, but I, I do think that. I, I think that. And that's why in this, this was the longest one I've ever been on. Yeah, and look I, at the results. I, yeah. Of being involved and in, embroiled in, no, in that whole it's, it's definitely, thing. it's how it should be. But you also, you have, I, I think if you look at all the mission scores this is one that is completely unique it breaks new ground but i think it'll stand the test of time there are moments during the the lane breakouts particularly where i hear something it's like if you had made mission in 1984 (laughs) it's got a little bit of tangerine dreamy kind of thing going on that's my problem i listen to absolute 80s all the time (laughs) i can't wait for the live scoring of it yeah, well, uh, yeah we, heard, we when are we going to do this, this? Yeah. you have to do no, it I, 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 the Royal Albert Hall is calling out yeah. for this how do we do that because well, I would I love to do it yeah no a couple of people have mentioned it to me it's, it's just I don't know how musically we do it now putting the bongos aside you know we had like over 300 musicians mm. it was a big gig so it, it's it's just the kind of the practicality of yeah. of it but how exciting would that be that if you had be 15 bongo percussionists on the stage? Yeah. Come on. Oh, yeah. Drummers cool. playing bongos. When that kicked yeah. off. Well, no, because there's an, an additional 14 drummers. So what do we have to do? We have to extend the stage. So we extend <laughs> it's only the It's hall. only seating in the Royal Albert Hall because the entire yeah, exactly. standing area is taken up. The first up. 12 rows <laughs> are actually musicians. Yeah. There'll be 10 tickets for sale. <laughs> yeah. But we, I, I would love that to would do amazing. that. That would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. Please we should. Yeah, we but apparently you have to book it like a long time out, right? Um, I think you'd be all right. I didn't know. I think you no. could. No. Yeah. No. no. Yeah, no. I know someone okay. who knows someone. Do who, you? Yeah, I will give you email address. Will you host yeah. it? I would be honoured to. Oh, done. Honoured to. Done. Done.
what? You were asking what's next. Yeah, what is next? I have no idea. <laughs> yes, you do. No, I re- I mean, I know what's next. My next job. In the secret I'm, Christopher McQuarrie world. <laughs> I'm getting on a plane. I'm getting on a plane day after tomorrow to go help out on Top Gun. I, I'm only saying this because Tom has oh gone God. and spilled the beans already. So I'm 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 going to work on Top Gun and and quite possibly returning to the script of Edge of Tomorrow too. Oh, oh wow! Yes. Um, but I as far the as the as far as what I'm directing next, I really don't know. Lauren? I'm doing uh, Michael Bay's next movie because oh, I've wow. worked with Michael before yeah. 13 hours. Michael Bay. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, he's got director. Like, oh, an up and coming director from whom, from whom we're expecting great things. Um, uh, Six Underground. Okay. So that's. What is that? Can you talk about it? Uh, yeah, I can because I think it's kind of Ryan Reynolds. and the, Oh, yes. Okay. It's the two writers from Deadpool. Yes. Okay. So, I know and, the thing. And, and it is Netflix. Yes. Okay. Which I is... didn't want to say it, but you now that you've said yeah, it, said it. <laughs> yes. which Spilled gives the them a certain latitude that they would not otherwise have. Yeah. They're not yeah. constrained by the PG yeah. PG thirteen universe. Yes. <laughs> it's it is fascinating. You know, I think it goes back to the whole thing you were talking about a long time ago about how movies the audience are now. Yeah. Because people are watching Game of Thrones. Yes. They're, they're watching TV now. Yeah. That is just. I'm watching Ozark at the minute, season it's, two. Is that season two? That oh just came God, up now. What a great show! Season four, one was four great. Four episodes into oh, it, that's great. I love that show. It's really good. But it's it's you know Netflix now is how people are are, are viewing things. Yes. I was saying this to someone the other day. Sorry, we'll we'll, we'll promise we'll just give it a go. Is how that's a podcast. I was going to say, going. have you yeah. not been listening to Chris's Empire? Yeah, yeah. Excuse me. Yeah. Seven, so anyway, I do Chris. And we have just five hours to go. We have <laughs> records to break. It's going to tell the gentleman in the three, booth. Four, five, six. We're all right. You're on seven um, hours for that podcast. It's amazing. They, Empire. Th- well, I, uh, Chris and I did six, and they did an hour in between. Wow. Amazing. Yeah, they did it. It's a seven-hour total. The one thing I love about the accessibility now of the digital world, both in terms of music and in terms of film, is with my kids in particular, you know, they're five and ten, they're curious about stuff, and one thing, be it a piece of music or a film, leads on to another. Mm. And it was amazing. Last night, my husband and I and my two kids sat down and watched Tron because they wanted to watch. Mm -hmm. They'd played a computer game that had Tron in it and they heard about the film and they wanted to watch it. It was wicked to sit down and watch that with a five-year-old or ten-year-old. The original original Tron? No, the the sequel. Tron Legacy. Which um, I kind of, I enjoyed at the time and I'm watching it with them and hearing their conversations during it and after was was fantastic. And I love that of kind of press a button and we can experience that together. Yeah. Yes. It's great. I That's know. one of the one the one one of the things I love about, you know, the digital age and, and call it up right yeah. now. But it is, yeah. It is crazy to think Because they've got no that, patience. No. <laughs> no. But how how not long ago we were going into Blockbuster on a Friday. Yeah. And got that weekend deal. So there's yeah. one left. Yes, I saw there's, there's an what, article I just read. There's the last Blockbuster. But what do they rent? DVDs. DVDs? I mean there are people who don't have Netflix and yeah. Yeah. watch who still have VCRs and my dad really yeah yeah, yeah. well there's one in Santa Monica VHS uh, VHS oh yeah a uh, famous place that oh uh, Vidiots yeah I think it's Vidiots yeah. it's on Pico yes that's it says it. you're yes. getting right towards the end you're driving into the ocean yeah and yeah I think like, that's Vidiots yeah. they're still there yes I'm so encouraged yeah, it, got sa- it got saved well, it's a conversation that Cruz and I have all the time like I'll be framing a shot and he'll come up to me and he'll I'd be like, you know, this shot's really tight, and I just feel like when we're watching it on a big screen, and I pull my phone out of my pocket. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> 
I don't know how to tell you this, but 99% of the people who ever watch your movies ever in the history of mankind are going to see it on this or their watch or a laptop. They're going to think about how many people watch movies on the airplane, whether you're watching it on the modified little screen they show it on or or the iPad that you brought with you. It's where you have time to watch movies. That's very hard. I love movies. It's hard for me to find the time to go to the cinema. Mm. Well, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen Mission Impossible at the cinema yet, then seek one out. I mean, it's going to be on at the cinema like for the next year, so I think. From your dead. mouth to God's ear. <laughs> that's that's what we want to hear. That's the real. That's the oh. sad thing about it is I look at these movies which rely on this one has two IMAX sequences in it, and I look at Ghost Protocol, which has an iconic IMAX sequence in it, and when that movie leaves the theaters. You'll never see it in IMAX again. There might be yeah. two or three screenings mm-hmm. in Brad Bird's lifetime where he goes to a screening of that movie at an IMAX theater, but that's it. We're tr- and we're preserving the IMAX ratio on the on home video, so at least wow. you can yeah. see that extra mm. bit of the frame we shot. Brad but, was on the show three weeks ago. Was he? Yeah. Ah, oh, he's fantastic. What a dude. Oh, he, he is great. the greatest. He is the greatest. Great. Still the greatest mission sequence ever that bastard that, that first could have, oh come on could have now you're being I think Chris now is you're being right. yeah. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know what I, 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 I might have got him in terms of sheer volume we just threw so much action but the truth is the Burj Khalifa sequence is that's the high water mark it's what's great about that is it's not only the sequence itself and all the drama that's going on with the team but it, it's the most iconic location like it's really hard to, it's gorgeous looking, it's glass and sand and all that other, look at all the design and all the stuff that's going on in that sequence. It's really hard. You could write a, you could potentially write a more thrilling and more awesome sequence, but then it's got to look as good as the Burj. He just dropped the We mic. know, yeah. we know, Lawrence. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, 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 I have like two or three friends that have been to Paris yeah. Yeah. since watching the movie and they said they were they were doing the taxi yeah. journey Tom, going, exactly. I'm Tom Cruise, I'm Tom <laughs> Cruise. <Yeah. laughs> Admittedly, Paris does look very good. The Arc de Triomphe is is uh, it's it's a tough location. To be I tried trying. to run across the roof of the bridge across the Thames just last week, but I got the stopped Blackfriars by bridge? security. Does get arrested? The Tate, yeah. you were d- that desperate for the new exhibition. Yeah. <laughs> um, you've been here before. I hope yeah. you can come back again. Oh, weirdly um, enough, when we last spoke, I know I told him earlier. Oh yeah, yeah. I said I wouldn't say anything in fear of I was going to get fired. So I was like, I think I'm no, 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 I'm not going to talk about anything. <laughs> and here we are now. I know. Um, please come back for another sit. We haven't even touched on, on anything else, and there's so much to talk about. Hour um, number two, let's go. Brilliant. Thank you, Christopher. Okay. Thanks, Lauren. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Cheers, Thank guys. You. Thank Great. you. Thanks for having us.
From the score to Mission Impossible Fallout, that's Cutting on One by Lauren Balfe, rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with Lauren and director Christopher McQuarrie. My huge thanks to both for taking the time to talk to us. Mission Impossible Fallout is now on DVD and Home Ents release, but... If you can, I highly recommend you see it in the cinema if you get the chance. We'll put up a Spotify playlist for this show with the tracks we featured in the order they appeared, which you'll be able to access via edithbowman.com, my website, which is also the place to catch up with all of our previous episodes, including Lauren's first outing. Uh, please do follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK. And please do keep spreading the word if you like what you hear. Oh, and don't forget to claim your free case of craft beer, courtesy of beer52.com. Just head to beer52.com forward slash sound to find out how to do it. Next up, returning for a second sitting, is director David Lowry to talk about his latest film, which may well be Robert Redford's last, The Old Man and the Gun. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then.